For any kids that want to go to Sunday school, church school, this would be a good time to say goodbye and come back later. The scripture reading today is Mark 2, 1 to 12. And I'm reading from the message, so for those of you that are following something else, uh, this is going to sound a little different. Hear the word of the Lord. After a few days, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and word got around that he was back home. A crowd gathered, jamming the entrance so no one could get in or out. He was teaching the word. They brought a paraplegic to him, carried by four men. When they weren't able to get in because of the crowd, they removed part of the roof and lowered the paraplegic on his stretcher. Impressed by their bold belief, Jesus said to the paraplegic, Son, I forgive your sins. Some religion scholars sitting there started whispering among themselves, He can't talk that way. That's blasphemy. God and only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew right away what they were thinking and said, Why are you so skeptical? Which is simpler, to say to the paraplegic, I forgive your sins, or say, get up, take your stretcher, and start walking? Well, just so it's clear that I'm the Son of Man and authorized to do either, or both, he looked now at the paraplegic, get up. Pick up your stretcher and go home. And the man did it. Got up, grabbed his stretcher, and walked out with everyone there watching him. They rubbed their eyes, incredulous, and then praised God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Lord God, we pray right now that you would lay, help us to lay aside all the distractions of the week that was, and the worries that we have for the week that is to come. That for this short time, we might be attentive to your voice. That we might hear your word. We may allow you to stir our souls. speak to you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My first experience with healing was when I was about 13 years old. I had for some time been going to see, a, I think it was a chiropractor, because whether, I don't know if it was my hips or my legs, something was out of alignment, and one leg was about three-quarters of an inch 
shorter than the other. We had someone at the church that night. We were doing a prayer and praise and healing service. And I went forward to the front. And the person prayed for me. I laid down on the ground. And I don't know what he did or how he did it, but prayed, and whether it was my lips, my, my hips came into alignment or my leg grew, I, my legs were then the same length. I didn't have to go back to the chiropractor. The next time I remember experiencing healing when, was when I was about 18 years old. I had a bad wrist. I, I don't know what caused it, but for about four or five months, I had been going to physiotherapists and to chiropractors to try to get my wrist fixed. I couldn't pick up anything, couldn't hold anything. The pain in the wrist was so intense. And I was up at Camp Artaban uh, for a uh, young adult retreat. It was the May long weekend that year. And my youth pastor at the time was clear on the other side of the room. And we were gathered in the dining hall, pouring rain outside, and we had a fire going. I say that only because it's what I remember. And I remember her praying for me. She, uh, she prayed to God that my wrist would be healed. I always thought <clears throat> you needed to lay hands on someone. But she was on the other side of the room. I felt a tingling in my wrist. It shot up my arms into my heart, back down my arm again, and my wrist was healed. Never had a problem with it since. I also remember the hours I spent at the altar rail praying for my mom to be healed. And that prayer went seemingly unanswered because about a year after being diagnosed with Parkinson's, she died. Over the years, I have prayed for numerous people to be healed. People in congregations in which I've served, uh, patients in hospitals, I've prayed for my own children, I've prayed for strangers on the street, and even for myself. Apparently, I have learned that one can lay one's hands on oneself and ask for healing, and sometimes it works. Some people have been healed of their pain or their illness. Others have not. And many, I have no idea what happened to. But how is this possible? How does healing work? Why are some people healed and others aren't? Is it their lack of faith? Is it my lack of faith? Is it unconfessed sin? Or is it just not God's will to heal that person at that time. I don't know. What I do know is that I don't give up healing for people just because not everyone is healed. I continue to pray, even though I cannot answer the how or the why questions. I do so in part because Scripture tells us in the book of James that if someone is sick, we are to call the elders of the church together. They are to lay, uh, anoint them with oil, and they are to pray that they would be healed. I also pray for healing and lay hands on people and anoint them because that's what Jesus did. Healings played a prominent role in his ministry and throughout the Gospels. But none of that helps us answer the question of how, why, or why not. And we also know, of course, that healing ministries over the years have been used to exploit and manipulate people. It has been filled with bad theology, especially when healing doesn't happen. We come up with all sorts of excuses and reasons to justify why it hasn't taken place. 
Some of it has even become almost pagan theology in application. As if there is some secret formula or secret words or order of words that you must say things in a particular order. Otherwise, Jesus ain't going to hear you. He'd love to heal, but you just didn't say it right. So the disease isn't going to be cured and the demon's not going to be cast out. That's just bad theology. And yet, Jesus heals. And his disciples heal. And Paul calls healing a gift of the Holy Spirit. So just because it is complicated and we do not understand it and it can become manipulated and abused does not mean that we can just ignore it or leave it up to those special super spiritual types in church who we, try, who we love but try to keep away from at coffee time. So maybe what we need is better theology of healing. A better understanding as to what Jesus was doing when he was healing people. It had to be more than just making sick people well. Because as we know, there were far more people in Palestine at the time of Jesus who remained sick than were ever healed. I think the first problem we have with healing is that we have far too small of an understanding of what healing is. I think we often restrict it just to the physical, to physical illness. So when a disease is not cured or a bone is not mended or, 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 or a vertebrae doesn't come back into alignment or a blind child never gets sight, we assume that no healing has taken place. Healing, though, is bigger than that. God's whole mission is a mission of healing. In the book of Revelations, John says that the leaves of the tree of life are meant for the healing of the nations. So what then does healing mean? What is it? Is it a miracle? We call it a miracle when we pray for someone and they get healed. Maybe. But we're told in Mark chapter 6 that when Jesus went into the town of Nazareth and he was rejected, he, he was sort of run out of town on a rail. We're told that he could do no miracles there except to lay hands on a few sick people and make them well. So, is it something other than a miracle? Is healing perhaps a sign or a wonder pointing us to something greater, something beyond its obvious self? Is it a glimpse for us into a larger truth and reality? The passage we just read from Mark chapter 2, the story of the paralyzed man, it's well known. It's not Jesus' first miracle. Up to this point, he's in, in Mark's gospel, as we know, Mark flies. And so Mark's already had plenty of miracles in chapter 1. And so that's why there's a crowd gathered when Jesus returns to his town. The crowd is so big, uh, people can't get in to see him. It's jam-packed, just like church today. Should have seen ours. Even less. The crowds are so big that the, the door was filled and just people couldn't press in. And there was this man, a paralyzed man, being carried by four of his son, uh, friends. He was on a cheap bedroll, just a piece of foam that sort of laid on the ground or cloth that he laid on the ground. And they were bringing him to Jesus to be healed, but they couldn't get in. They're kept to the outside. 
I want you to hold that image in your mind because I think I'm going to come back to it and I think it's a really important image that this person who needed healing was kept to the outside. But they do not let this exclusion prevent them from getting near to Jesus. They climb up on the roof and they literally, I love what, what, what the scripture says they do, they literally unroof the roof. Just such a great image. You should do it here. Murray's not around, right? Oh, you are. <laughs> Unroof the roof. And they lowered him down to be with Jesus. And when Jesus sees the faith of his friends, he lays hands on the man and he anoints him with oil and says, Dear Father, you know that this man is paralyzed and I ask you in my name to heal him, right? Isn't that what Scripture says Jesus did? No. Jesus looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven. When did the man's sins enter into the conversation? When did that come up? Is Jesus saying this because he's saying the man is paralyzed because of a sin he committed? Well, perhaps, in those days, if you were sick, or you had a disease like leprosy, or you were blind, or you were deaf, or you were paralyzed, it was understood that you were in that condition either because of your own sinfulness or perhaps because of generational sin, the sin of your parents. We see this assumption explained in John's Gospel with the man born blind, right? Did this man, was this man blind because of his sin or his sin, the sins of his parents? And we even know today that there is some truth to this. There is some connection between our sinfulness and our health. We know that that certain things that we do or don't do, certain things that we carry and don't give up, things like guilt or fear or resentment or anxiety or unforgiveness or hatred or anger can lead to physical problems. It can cause us headaches or stomach aches or ulcers or, 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 or any other problems. If we overwork and, and we become too tired, our, our immune systems weaken. So we know that there is some sort of connection between uh, our our actions and, and perhaps our sins and, and our physical health. So is that the connection Jesus is drawing? No, I don't think so. Because in John's Gospel, he rejects that theology out of hand. And in this story, he takes us in a very different direction altogether with his illness and sin connection. So what, Jesus is, so, so what is Jesus saying? What, what, what point is he trying to make? And what does this have to do with the kingdom of God and the mission of God? Well, first let us look at what the word healing means. Or what else it means other than making the sick well. The New Testament writers, when they were looking for a word to explain what Jesus' death and resurrection meant, what, what actually happened in the reality of the world that day on the cross and that day at the empty tomb, because they are really one event. When they were looking for a word to describe what that meant, they settled on a very common Greek word, sotiros, which when we translate it into English, we translate as salvation. The, the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus brings salvation to the world. But in the Greek, it had a much more common meaning. It meant healing. What Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection does is it heals. They understood salvation first and foremost then as healing. 
healing is salvation and salvation is healing. So now with that understanding, the connection between healing and sin begins to make a little more sense. Does it not? So we know that salvation is not just about going to heaven when you die any more than healing is just about I was sick and now I'm well. And and we'll get a more complete picture and understanding of salvation in a few weeks when Todd and I get to the, 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 the part of the series where we're talking about Jesus saving. But for now, we need to understand something about what salvation is. Salvation is being set free from captivity. It's about being rescued. Salvation is also about coming home or finding a place to live. Think about the story of the prodigal son. Salvation, too, is about illumination and discovery and understanding. It is the ability to see God and self and others and the world in the way that God sees it. It is revealing. It is epiphanal. So Jesus heals the eyes of the blind so that they can see, so that they can be illuminated. And salvation is healing and restoration. Healing of damage caused by sin and the restoration of relationships damaged by sin. By salvation, you are restored to who you are. Not a perfect self-understanding or the ideal image of yourself that you may try to throw up on Facebook. But, but to how and to whom you were created to be. As an image bearer of God, the Theotokos, the bearer of God's image. That is what we are restored to in salvation. And this link between healing and salvation and between forgiveness of sins and restoration is what we want to focus on now. In his ministry on earth, Jesus, in a sense, really only did two things. He blessed and he healed. And when he blessed and healed, what he did is he gave regard, he gave recognition, he gave name to people who had none. The crowds, the masses, the outcasts and sinners who had been divided out and cast aside by the powerful and the religious. This is what we heard last week from Todd in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, the meek, those who mourn, those who seek after peace, But we also see by Jesus' actions in the Gospels, he's saying, blessed are the sick, blessed are the blind, blessed are the lepers, blessed are the weak, the lost, the outcast, all those who are on the outside looking in, all those who for whatever reason are divided off and cut out and pushed aside, including, and this is so significant, blessed are those who sin. To all these people, he brings blessing and restoration salvation. So you can see why I said I thought it was significant that the friends of the paralyzed man couldn't get in. The the, the friends of the sinner couldn't get in to see Jesus. They were pushed out by the crowd. Even the word Mark uses for crowd is significant. I don't know Greek, so I just know what I read. But... The expected Greek word here to say crowd would have been leos, which is used 2,000 times in the, Greek, in the Greek scriptures. But the word Mark chooses to use 
is oklos. He uses it 38 times in his gospel. And unlike the more generic leos, which simply means the crowd or the gathering of people, oklos means specifically the ordinary people, the masses, the great unwashed. Again, a specific word showing separation and division. How much of what we do in the world, how much even of what we do in the church, or how we try to understand the world, the way we view the world, is through a system of division and separation. There's us and them. Conservative and socialist. East and West. Christian and Muslim. Black and white. Good people and bad people. Sinners and saints. Christians and non-Christians. Romans and Protestants. Anglicans and brethren. Evangelicals and liberals. We do it all the time to the point that we don't even know we do it. We see the world in a way in which we are allowed to see ourselves as in and others are out. The paralyzed sinner was even an outsider amongst the great unwashed. But his friends are not deterred. They carry him. They drag him onto the roof. They tear it open and they lower him down to where Jesus is. I love that scene because I see in that, and I hope you do too, do you not see the incarnation there? Jesus who descended down to be with us, so too the sinner here is descended down to be with Jesus. And so then Jesus, seeing their faith and their love for their friend, who they refuse to keep pushed out, friends who are a blessing, who are blessing their paralyzed friend, heals the man by saying, your sins are forgiven, which is the exact same thing as saying, take up in your, your mat and walk, because healing is salvation, and salvation is healing. And so now our story begins to make sense. Because salvation is the forgiveness of sin, and sin is that which separates us and keeps us apart from God, and from ourselves, and from others, and from the whole of creation, And the forgiving of sin restores those relationships, brings people back into full communion with God, with their deeper selves, with others, and with the whole of creation. Healing is restoration of relationships. It is the restoring of communion. The man's lack of bodily wholeness, as we mentioned earlier, would have been attributed to either his own sin or inherited sin. And as a sinner, he was denied full status in the body politic of Israel. He could not fully participate in religious or social life. He was a sinner. He was lame. The sick, the lame, the blind, the beggars, they were, and and the like, were all in impaired relationship with the rest of the community. They couldn't go to temple. They couldn't eat with others. They were cut out. Lepers literally had to go around crying out, Hey guys, I'm unclean. Stay away from me. Don't touch me because if you touch me, you're going to become unclean too. You're going to be cut off from the rest. They were unclean outcasts, lost, last, least, the little people, the crowd. Those who, as we heard last week, Jesus said, were blessed. They were those who were divided from and cut off from the rest of the body. 
And Jesus summarily releases the man from his sin. From all his debt. And by doing so, restores him to social wholeness. And thus gives him back his identity and his full personhood. Which in turn is equated with the restoration of physical wholeness. Healing is physical, but it's also relational and social. Salvation is physical, but it's also relational and social. And so, when we consider if our prayers, if we ask if our prayers for healing worked, we have to look far beyond more than just did the fever go away? Did the cancer go into remission? Was the bone mended? That's part of it, but it's not the whole of salvation. So we can see that, that healing is, is bigger than we think it is. It's beautiful. It's restorative. Healing does, in fact, restore the damage caused by our sinfulness. Which causes separation and exclusion from others and keeps others or the crowd away from the elect and the elite. And now we can begin to see why in this story there were some who were not happy with Jesus healing this way. They were not pleased when he said things like, your sins are forgiven you. Because when he says that, it upsets the power of the status quo. Your sins are forgiven is salvation language of healing, but it is also language of the debt code. And so Jesus is challenging something of the hierarchy of things, the way things were structured, the way they ought to be in order to keep people in check. Things which cause division between the debtor and the debtee. The scribes, the religious folks, are incensed by his forgiveness of debts. How upset do we get when we see other Christians somehow acting gracefully towards those who we don't consider part of us. The scribes are incensed by this forgiveness of debt because they claim only God can forgive debt, but what is really at issue for them, what they really mean, is that Jesus is stepping on their tolls and their social superiority and power because as interpreters of Torah... The scribes and the Pharisees were co-stewards of the symbolic order of things. That which kept certain people up and certain people down. Some people in and some people out. Some people sinners and some people saints. They controlled the determination of indebtedness. They were like sin bankers. And who is this Jesus to take over our job and declare that forgiveness of debt in others? And so they accuse him of the greatest of religious crimes, an accusation which will not now, but will soon, lead to his crucifixion. They accuse him of blasphemy. See, Jesus is a threat to any system whose institutional structures requires hierarchy. Jesus is a threat to any system where, where some people are, 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 keep, are kept in the crowd and others are, are kept on the inside. Those people are kept on the outside looking in, while a few benefit by being on the inside, deciding who gets access, who gets in, and who is too sick or too sinful 
or two other than me or believes things that I don't believe. And they must remain outside in impaired relationship with the rest. He is a threat to anyone who wishes to control access to his table and to his banquet. Because healing, salvation, and restoring to communion with God and each other are all effectively the same thing, everyone is eligible for entry. Not everyone may choose it, but everyone is eligible. The door is open. No one is kept out. Everyone is open to being blessed by God. Now, this work, though, of healing and restoration is not left to Jesus alone, which is why the disciples also heal, why James tells us to pray for the healing of others, and why Paul calls healing a gift of the Spirit, because we are invited to the same work. We are called, our vocation or our work as Christians And the fruit of our salvation is for us to participate in uniting the divided, in healing the wounds of the world, and calling forth the gifts of grace which are everywhere and fill all things in the world that we just so often don't see them because we are blind to them. Which is why even today we need Jesus to open the eyes of the blind through healing salvation. For they are weak. Salvation is the process for the healing of the world, which is God's mission, the Missio Dei, for which he created the church, which is to join with him in communion and unity to bring healing and restoration to all the people, to bring reconciliation of all things unto himself, all the things in the world, so that they may be saved and healed. Now, in order for us to heal relationships and restore that which is broken by our own sin, we must be taught and shown and illuminated. And this is in part what we are trying to do in this sermon series and Bible study series. To allow us to be illuminated. But that's not enough. We all, every one of us who calls himself a disciple of Christ, must be willing and desire to study, to read scripture, to pray, to be in solitude with God, to be open to examining any currently held thoughts about God, which by its very nature creates division and keeps other people out. We must call that into question. And we must consider consider what it means for us to be a church. Not a church with a mission, but a church which is part of God's mission to heal the world. How can we bring healing and restoration to the community in which we live, this community of North Vancouver? Well, in addition to growing in our own personal spiritual formation and relationship with God, we need to seriously examine our theology of salvation, healing, sin, and mission. And we must do one more thing, which is perhaps the most difficult of all for us. We must examine the church. Does our church, and I said this at St. Timothy's, and I mean it for for ours here, Sutherland, and the two together is our church. Does our church exist and operate in such a way that it can work in communion with God to live out His salvation work and healing mission? Or is it really designed just to keep current people happy 
and separated from the crowd, believing that we are blessed because we are in and others aren't. Let's pray. Lord God, heal us of our sinfulness. Sin is not your problem. You've forgiven it already. It's ours. Forgive us of the sins that cause brokenness and sickness between us and you, within ourselves, between each other, and within this world. Touch us with your healing. Forgive us of our sins. Restore us to communion with you. Restore us to communion within our deeper selves. Restore us to communion with the people sitting near us. Restore us to communion with the whole of your creation, that all things may be reconciled to you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.